The History of the Holy Roman Empire, Rome Before Charlemagne, Part 2, The Franks, Justinian, and the Lombards. Now, after Uruk broke away from Rome, his kingdom became engulfed in war. Uruk thought to expand his kingdom, but other Germanic tribes had also their sights on what was once Gaul. By the time of his death, the Burgundian kingdom, which had laid to the south, lay between Italy and Toulouse, was the most prominent rival to the Toulouse kingdom. Alaric II succeeded Eric as king. He reduced, but did not eliminate, the fierce persecution of the Arian Eric that he installed about against Nicene or Trinitarian Christians. Alaric II also wrote a code of law that was based on Roman law, showing the influence of the Roman civilization that it still had on Gaul. He was, however, hampered by wars from the Burgundians, but more importantly, from the pagan Franks to the east. The Franks were a particularly brutal tribe of pagans. They had emerged from out of the forests of Germany only a few generations previous. The tribal chieftain, Meroveg, had passed the throne down to his son, and by him to Meroveg's grandson, a man named Clovis. This Clovis was rapidly conquering much of the Toulouse kingdom and turning it into a Frankish one. But barbarian and pagan that he was, he also knew and learned the advantages of politics. He arranged a political marriage with the daughter of the former Burgundian king. This woman was named Clotilda, and although the Burgundians were, were Arians, she had converted to true Christian faith. She therefore brought the gospel with her to Clovis. His conversion was not immediate, but a product of many years of Clotilda's persuasion. She was a devout and faithful woman, although some doubt the sincerity of Clovis's conversion. None doubt her own. Her Christian character and devotion were evident to everyone. It was not until a critical battle in the fall of 507 AD that Clovis finally gave in to the Christian faith. He felt that all was lost. The tides of war can change with but a single battle, and Clovis was losing it. It is then that he called out to the Christian God and promised his devotion if the tide of battle would change. It did, and he did. For this Clovis has been called a second Constantine. Like Constantine, it was on the battlefield that he converted to Christ. Later, Clovis was baptized with thousands of his own soldiers. The scene was significant, for it created new alliances with Rome. The Germanic barbarian tribes had been a constant threat to the remnants of the Western Roman Empire. But now, in the new Frankish kingdom, there was a new political power emerging who looked to the same faith as that of the Roman pontiff in Rome. Rome now had a strong ally on whom they could lean in the years to come. Frankish kingdom was made a federate of the Roman Empire, and Clovis himself was given the title of consul. Well, we got to go to Byzantium here. Now, the emperors who resided at Constantinople are generally referred to as the Byzantine emperors, although the empire was still one and the same Roman Empire. At the time, historians had become accustomed to referring to Eastern emperors as Greek or Byzantine emperors. Justinian, however, is also called the last of the true Roman emperors. He is universally hailed as the greatest of the Byzantine emperors. This is perhaps a strange contradiction, but it reflects the desire to show Justinian the respect he deserves. In comparison to Augustus or Constantine, Justinian falls far short. But it is to them, and not later Greek emperors, that Justinian owed his legacy. Like the former, he sought to reunify the empire, and he had a far greater respect of Rome and Italy than would his successors. He sought to establish the papacy over the east and west alike and secure the political unity of the two sections of the empire without the need of an untrustworthy co-regent in Italy. 
in these respects he fell short of his goals, but he did restore for a brief moment glory to the quickly fading and once great Roman Empire. It was with his death that the division between the Holy Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire slowly began to take form. It would not happen for another 200 years, but the events that ensued following Justinian's reign would ensure that the two would not remain together forever. Justinian may legitimately be said to have kept the two portions of Rome together. Had Justinian never lived, it is far more likely that the East and West would have split a hundred years earlier than it really did. Like the Italians, Justinian could not tolerate the thought of heretical barbarians ruling Italy at the, in his name. Like the Romans, he also believed that the churches in the East and the West should be united together under the sovereignty of the Pope. Since the death of Theodoric the Great, the Ostrogothic leadership of Italy had become weak and Justinian soon found the perfect excuse to rescue Italy from its grips. Upon Theodoric's death, his eight-year-old grandson, Athelric, ruled the kingdom. However, Athelric's mother, Amalthusuna, desired to cede a power for herself. Eventually, she had allegedly reached a secret agreement with Justinian to stage a coup in which he could come and rescue her, thus saving the emperor's direct control over Italy with her acting on his behalf. However, by Athelric's 16th birthday, he had become a drunkard and succumbed to debauchery from which he died that very year. This left the West under the leadership of Theodad, who quickly reached his own agreement with Amalthasuna, naming her co-regent. Such an agreement was far more preferable to her than the nominal authority that Justinian would have bestowed upon her. So she took Theodad's offer. Nevertheless, in less than a year, Theodad turned on Amalthasuna and arrested her. She was then found murdered shortly afterwards. This is an act of usurpation and the signal for Justinian to invade and restore the old glory that was once Rome. Justinian sent his great general, Belisarius, who is probably the last of the great Roman generals, to handle the occupation of Italy. He began by taking Sicily with barely a fight and then Naples fell in three weeks. The Ostrogoths, seeing the dangers that were imminent, deposed Theodat and appointed Vitages as the new king. People of Italy, however, were not appeased. They viewed Justinian's army as liberators, not invaders. In 536, the Pope invested Belisarius to march into the city of Rome and claim it for the empire. It was then that the Goths became aggressors and besieged the great city. For the next 16 years, the Goths fought in some fashion. Although the empire claimed Italy as its own, it was not until 552 that Justinian could clearly say that the Gothic invaders had been quelled. Despite this, and the fact that Justinian was hailed as a hero and by many in Italy, several factors contributed to the eventual split between the East and the West. Higher taxation and oppressive Byzantine officials hurt, but probably nothing struck the West more than the action of Justinian towards Pope Vigilus. In 546, the Goths gained temporary control of Rome and the Pope had fled to Constantinople, never to see Rome again. Justinian, far from being a generous host, treated the Pope like a prisoner. This stemmed from a theological dispute between Justinian and the Patriarch of Constantinople. Justinian naturally sought the Pope to take a stand in defense of him, but when the Pope condemned the treatise of, of Justinian in favor of the Patriarch, Justinian sought his arrest. Imperial guards literally tried to drag the poor Pope out of the church, but the people upon seeing this display became angry. Justinian backed down but placed the Pope under unofficial house arrest and called a general council of his own condemning the Pope until such time as the Pope should repent. The Pope Vigilus died in, on his return journey to Rome in 555. 
leaving a bitter strife between the East and the West that would only grow greater over time. Now Justinian gets all the credit for Belisarius's work. Belisarius is the man who really held the Eastern Empire together, fighting the Persians, fighting in the Vandals on North Africa, going to Italy, and in many cases, Justinian was jealous of the success of Belisarius and in many cases limited the amount of reinforcements he, he received. So although he is the leader and one of the great leaders of Byzantium, a lot of the credit that he has given is really Belisarius's. Well, now let's go to the Lombards. Not five years after Justinian's death, another invasion of Germanic barbarians began in Italy. The Lombards were a tribe that had broken away from another clan in 508 AD. They had been granted permission to live in Dacia, roughly corresponding with Austria, where they dwelled for many years. Under Justinian, they had become federates and allies of the empire. But like the emperor Theodosius and the Goths a century earlier, the alliance was broken upon the death of the emperor, and those tribes turned on the empire invading Italy. History was repeating itself. In 568, they sought to take land from Italy and establish their own country. Unlike the Goths of Theodosius' time, the Lombards did not show respect for the empire or the church. They were cruel and barbaric. They burned churches to the ground, murdered priests, and raped nuns. By the time Albutin, the king of the Lombards, died in 572, much of northern Italy was in Lombard possession and rule. With his death, the invasion halted, but the oppression did not. As long as the Lombards did not take further aggression deeper into Italy, there was an unofficial truce as the emperor in Constantinople had his hands full in the east. This is one reason that the western Romans would find themselves turning to their allies, the now Christian Franks. The eastern emperors who followed Justinian were by and large, with a few exceptions, weak and feeble. In the east, with the war with Persia raged, not to mention the arrival of Muslim invaders 50 years later. By the time of Charlemagne, the once great eastern empire had shrunk dramatically. By the time the Holy Roman Empire was in its heyday, the Byzantine Empire encompassed just a small portion of modern Turkey and Greece, hardly enough to be called an empire at all. Obviously, with the east experiencing the difficulties that had once plagued the west, they sent no help to deal with Italy's problems and were content to ignore the Lombards, so long as sacred Rome remained unharmed and part of the empire. It was not until Emperor Maurice, more than a decade after the invasion began, that any legitimate help arrived. Maurice established exarchates, which are field garrisons for the protection of the remaining areas of Italy. Throughout the next two centuries, the Lombards and the Romans would live together in mutual hatred. Occasional conflicts and fighting occurred throughout this time, but the Lombards usually avoided out-and-out -out war, perhaps because the Lombards knew of Rome's importance to the empire and didn't wish to incur the wrath of the emperor. The Lombards, with few exceptions, skirted around Rome. Even when they attempted to seize central and southern Italy, they ignored Rome. They did not wish open war with the Roman Empire of the East, but they sought to conquer what land they could. They oppressed the people of Italy for 200 years until Charlemagne crushed the threat once and for all. But they rarely engaged in an all-out war and left Rome untouched. The domain of the Lombards and the Roman Byzantine Empire were not split evenly, but with different territories cutting through one another. Obviously, the right way was ignored and crimes often incurred when the Lombards passed through Roman territory. The importance of the Lombard invasion is that the reluctance of the eastern emperors to help the western states during this difficult time not only bred hostility and mistrust, but forced the Italians to seek help from the Franks. The first of these Franks to become involved was Charles Martel. Now I want to mention one thing about 
Exarchs are interesting because they are military priests, so to speak. They have the power of religious leadership, but they're also military commanders. And so you would find an exarchate in Ravenna. As we get closer and closer to Charlemagne, I want to remind you that, and most of you are our subscribers, there is a complete history of the Merovingian Franks and the Carolingian Franks that's on the website. I did a series on those years ago, and so those are available if you want to get a little extra background to the period that we are on. Now, the sources for this, this is Religion and the Holy Roman Empire by Ferguson, Before France and Germany by Gary, the Oxford History of Medieval Europe by Holmes, The Papal Encyclopedia by Bunsen, The Capetian Kings of France, 987 to 1328 by Butler, and Early Germans by Todd, and The Rise and Fall of the Holy Roman Empire by Criswell. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.